Thank you for listening to this sermon from Seven Springs Presbyterian Church. If you want to learn more about us, please find us on Facebook or visit us at sevenspringspresbyterian.com. If you take your Bibles and turn with me to Genesis chapter 25, this evening we'll be looking at uh, the legacy of Abraham. In Genesis chapter 25, we'll be looking at the first 18 verses. With the word open before us, let us go to Lord in prayer. O gracious Heavenly Father, we pray that you would light our steps. Lord, that you would, through the help of the Holy Spirit, speak not only to our ear canals, but further and deeper to our hearts. Lord, that our hearts would be changed, that we would fix our eyes firmly upon you and the hope found in Christ. Lord, we pray that you'd be with us now. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Hear now the word of the Lord from Genesis chapter 25. Please take heed how you hear. Abraham took another wife whose name was Keturah. She bore him Zimran, Jokshan, Medan, Midian, Ishbak, and Shua. Jokshan fathered Sheba and Dedan, and the sons of Dedan, Ashurim, Lethuim, Lethushim, and Lethuim. And the sons of Midian were Ephah, Ephur, Hanok, Aboda, Ilda, and the children are Kethorah. Abraham gave all that he had to Isaac. But the sons of his concubines, Abraham gave gifts. And while he was still living, he sent them away from his son Isaac eastward to the east country. And these are the days of the years of Abraham's life. 175 years Abraham breathed his last and died in a good old age, an old man and full of years, and he was gathered to his people. Isaac and Ishmael, his sons, buried him in the cave of Machpelah, in the field of Ephron, the son of Zoar, the Hittite, east of Memre, and the field that Abraham purchased from the Hittites. There Abraham was buried with, his, with Sarah, his wife. After the death of Abraham, God blessed Isaac, his son, and Isaac settled at Bir Lahairoi. These are the generations of Ishmael, Abraham's son, whom Hagar, the Egyptian Sarah's servant, bore to Abraham. These are the names of the sons of Ishmael, named in the order of their birth. Nebaioth, Firstborn of Ishmael, Enkadah, Abel, Mimsham, Mishma, Duma, Masa, Hadad, Tema, Jatura, Napish, and Karama. These are the sons of Ishmael, and these are their names, by their villages and by their encampments. Prince, twelve princes according to their tribes. These are the years of the life of Ishmael, 137 years. He breathed his last and died and was gathered to his people. They settled in Havilah to Shur, which was opposite Egypt in the direction of Assyria. 
he settled over against all his kinsmen. The grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of our Lord will stand forever. I looked up uh, some of the mottos of churches, of the largest churches. And their mottos, quite simple in what they tried to accomplish. One was, life's complicated and we want to help. The church wants to make a lasting difference in your life, in our community, and in the world. We believe your best days are still out in front of you. We're here to help people know God, find freedom, discover their purpose, and make a difference. We're all about people because God is all about people. We teach different truths about God from the Bible, and we believe in the power that He has to transform our life. This church exists so that people far from God will be raised to life in Christ. We're going to love God, love people, and love doing it together. Life and love, frequent words that came up frequently as read through a lot of these uh, mottos that they say. But when you preach through the Bible, you get to preach what's coming up in front of you. God's hand directs the text in which you choose. I'm planning sermons, but ultimately it's God's hand that plans what's coming. I look at where to divide the text, but over the course of four weeks we've studied and life and love weren't necessarily the topics of the passages in which we've preached the death of Sarah, the death of Samuel, the death of John the Baptist. And tonight we have again yet two more deaths in front of us. I almost have a mini-series, sermon series, Death. We always, uh, at our old church, we had the motto, serving others for Jesus' sake. And that's from 2 Corinthians chapter 4. And I always suggested that we change that instead of serving Jesus for others' sake, dying uh, for others' sake, dying for Jesus for others' sake. Another passage from there. But Peter said to Jesus when he explained, he said, Where shall we go? For you have the words of life. That you have the words of eternal life. And here, even in passages of death, we see the hope of eternal life. Tonight, we see the fulfillment of some of God's promises. But we see that even at the close of Abraham's life, that this promise continues to unfold. The Bible does not end with the death of Abraham, but the promise continues to unfold as it's given. We see this now fulfillment, but this now and not yet of what God's promise really is. This is often spoken about of Jesus and the kingdom, but we see right from the very beginning this now but not yet. There's this now fulfillment of the promise that is not yet completely fulfilled. Even after Christ has ascended, there's still promises of the Bible that are yet to be fulfilled by God. Right from the start, Genesis 3.15, that I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. There's this now but not yet 
aspect of what is to come through Christ, but also in the ultimate fulfillment. And the first thing that we see tonight is Abraham's descendants in the first six verses. Abraham takes another wife. Now, some have speculated that he had married her prior to Sarah's death. Abraham mentioned several times previously that not only Sarah was past childbearing, but he was also past childbearing as well. That's why some people explained that as prior to Sarah's death that he had concubines. Abraham fell on his face in Genesis chapter 17 and laughed to him, Shall, shall a child be born to a man is a, who is a hundred years old? It's not only that Sarah is barren, but also he is advanced in years. Now we don't know specifically when they got married. Practice of polygamy happens throughout the whole Old Testament. Doesn't then mean it's the correct practice. Uh, we talked about this a little bit uh, on Wednesday evening. But the cre- cre- uh, creation mandate is that marriage is to be between one man and one woman. And this, I think, is upheld and taught throughout the Bible. The Kerua, uh, uh, his second wife, or this wife here in this passage in First Chronicles is called his concubine in First Chronicles chapter 1, verse 32. Um, and also in this chapter, in verse 6, it says that he, but to the sons of his concubines, uh, plural, so understanding this, that it's uh, through Kerura, and then also um, Hagar would be the plural where he comes, his concubines. But we see that Abraham has many sons. Genealogy, we see he has six sons, seven grandsons, and three great-grandsons. Although we don't know exactly where all these sons lived, it's common that they are modern-day Saudi Arabia, Yemen, Oman, around that area. But we do see a fulfillment of God's promises in Genesis 3 uh, 13, 16, he says, I will make your offspring as the dust of the earth. The one can count the dust of the earth. Your offspring can be counted. And several times throughout uh, the call of Abraham and throughout his story, there's this promise that God will bless him and he will have many children. There's this now fulfillment of what has happened through Keturah, uh, Hagar, and then also Isaac as well. But there is this not yet fulfillment of what is to come, the, the true children of Abraham, as Paul explains in Galatians, those who are Abraham's offspring that share the same faith as Abraham, not the same uh, genetics as Abraham. So, and this is exactly what God changed his name. Remember when we met Abram in chapter 12, God then called his name and changed his name to Abraham, father of many. And we see the slight fulfillment of God's changing his name from Abram to a father of many, a father of nations. But the point is not so much the multitude, but the contrast between the many sons to the one son. In verse 5, it explains that Abraham gave all that he had to Isaac. Then verse 6, but to the sons of his concubines, Abraham gave gifts that while he was still living, he sent them away from his son eastward to the east country. Here we see 
that there's these many that are come, but one son continues the line of promise. One son continues that line of blessing which is given to Abraham, these promises which carry from generation to generation. Abraham's inheritance, his possessions, but more, in promise, more importantly, the blessings of God are given to Isaac and Isaac alone. These things he starts with, but the promise. And we see this again in the beginning of chapter 26. The promise follows not through all of his children, but through one son, Isaac. For through offspring, uh, through Isaac shall your offspring be named, God tells Abraham in Genesis 12, uh, 21, 12. Now he did give gifts to his other sons, but he sent them away to the east. And as you remember in the Bible, east and eastward direction is never a good uh, movement God sends after Adam and Eve sin in the garden. He sends them out and he sends them out of the uh, um, garden at the east. He sends them eastward. Eastward is moving away from God. Cain, you remember, he's Cain and Abel. He sends them out in Genesis 4.16. He settles now east of Eden in the land of Nod. We're in Genesis 10, chapter 30. And they extended to measure the direction of Sephar, the hill country of the east, continually moving east and the Tower of Babel. And the people migrated from the east, these people that come and build the tower in the plain in the land of Shinar and settled there. And Lot chose his land. Where did Lot choose his land? He settled in the east. He journeys east, separating themselves from the other. Now, it's not saying that living on the east side or the east coast is a bad thing for Christians to do. But here, especially in Genesis, this movement of east has more than just uh, physical location. As you remember, the, the physical location of the promised land is important, but it's not so much the square footage of this land, modern-day Palestine. It is, it's the promise which is attached to that, which has deeper meanings, which the author of Hebrews often points out. There's a, the promise which is fulfilled, which is this now but not yet. And here, Abraham gives all that he has to Isaac and sends the others eastward. The second thing we see in this passage is Abraham's death in verses 7 to 11. These are the days of the years of Abraham's life. 175 years. A hundred years has passed. A century has passed since Genesis 12, since God called Abraham out of the land of his father's, telling him to go, and he would go tell him where he would Give him a land. All these promises which come through this, this story of, of this son which was to come from your loins, this, this waiting for years on end, from 75 years to uh, 100 when he gives birth to Isaac, waiting and now after all this time. And through this time, he'd seen the Lord provide for him. To protect him. But also we see this promise fulfilled again. 
In Genesis 5.15, you remember he gives the promise of the land that he's going to send. You won't inherit this land, but your offspring will. You will die, he explains. As for you in verse 15 of chapter 15, you shall go to your fathers in peace and you shall be buried in a good old age. And his sons Isaac and Ishmael bury him. Now notice whose name is first. Ishmael is born first, but yet Isaac is named first. Isaac now has and carries the promise. He's the one who gets the inheritance. So Isaac and Ishmael bury him. Isaac is the promised child, the child of promise, which carries the blessings of God through the next generation. They bury him in his lot, this lot which looked towards heaven. The only thing that he has to his name of a land square footage is this, the title in the cave of Mechpelah, as we mentioned in Genesis 23. Now, I want to quickly just note the, the comment of burial. Now, burial is a practice which is found in the Bible. Sarah got buried. Often we see this, and, and we'd even notice that uh, Ishmael, there's no comment of Ishmael being buried, just Abraham. But here, the burial practice is found throughout the Bible. Paul uses it in uh, 1 Corinthians 15 especially verse 42, where he says, So it is with the resurrection of the dead. What is sown in perish, in, is perishable. What is raised is imperishable. The burial speaks that our body rests in the ground, waiting for the resurrection. Our body is laid in the ground, waiting for that day of the resurrection to come. It speaks that our souls have gone up to be with the Lord, but our bodies wait That is why we say rest in peace. That we're waiting for that day to be called again. That's a hard pastoral question, but what about cremation? Now, resurrected bodies are made new. What about the person who died in the fire? Their bodies would be made new. They were resurrected. What happens if you lose a limb in, in your life? Are you resurrected with your body, at, uh, with your limbless body, or your body with all your limbs? What even about those who have decayed all these times? Abraham, uh, bones, I doubt, would be recognizable, uh, been so long a uh, time away. But the resurrection still occurs. And then, so I think we need to. We. is a lot more expensive. Burial is almost uh, 66% more expensive than cremation. Cremation is about a third of the cost of burial. So uh, it's always a difficult pastoral question. But ultimately, if you go back to the Bible, what's the practice in the Bible? The practice of the Bible is to... Says the resurrection 
says that those who have been cremated will be raised again, will be raised new. Like those other things. But also I think what body lays in the ground until Christ return and our bodies and our souls are reunited in the resurrection. That the body is not an evil thing. Often we think of that, that, that the world has this tainted and sinful world. God created and God said in the beginning, it is very good. And our bodies are very good. They're, they are tainted by sin, but our bodies are not evil. God created them good. Sin has infected it, but it does not then mean that our bodies are bad and physical things are bad. And sometimes we can have that with the spiritual physical distinctions that we put them in two different categories and we say physical is bad and spiritual is good. So our souls going to be with God is good and our bodies don't matter. But in the resurrection, in the new heavens and the new earth, what we're going to see is what God had created, his very good, it's just going to not have sin to taint it. We will have physical bodies and a soul in the new heavens and the new earth. So I think burial speaks to that time where the body is not an evil thing. The body is a good thing created by God, knit together in the womb of the mother. The body is not just merely a shell for a soul which is disposed of. The body and the soul go hand in hand together, and we wait for that moment in which we will be raised together in life, in the resurrection. But in the end, again, I can only open the Bible and point to what the Bible says and what happened in the Bible. We can point to history of the practice of burial. We can point to the hope of the resurrection. But ultimately, uh, we cannot force someone. Cost is a huge factor. So as a church, is that something that we uh, encourage to move towards, that we encourage people to uh, burial and set up diaconal funds to be able to help people to do that? Again, they're big pastoral questions. And ultimately, they're pastoral questions that are hard to discuss, especially after someone has cremated someone. Again, we need to understand the body, uh, although it might have been cremated, is still a part of the resurrection. You're not ruled out because you've been cremated. But Thomas Watson says that we should study death. Walk amongst the tombs. Is the thoughts of death beforehand that do us, must do us good. One serious thought of death beforehand, one sh- tear shed of sin before death, is worth a thousand shed after when it is too late. Although many of these church mottos speak of life and love, the Christian's life does need to consider and think about death. Because death is a reality of life, the effects of sin, where we think about what sin is and the wages of sin is death. We should think about death because it is coming for all of us. And we should think and consider it seriously. The thinking of death is better to do it beforehand than it's after when it's too late. In Genesis 25:11 explains that after the death of Abraham, God blessed Isaac his son, and Isaac settled in Beer Lahiroi. Verse in such 
a big chapter. This is the last chapter of Abraham. Although it's in chapter 25 of Genesis, really the last chapter of Abraham's life. Abraham dies and then God then moves to his son Isaac. And is used throughout the Bible of these big turning points of big points in history. After the death of Moses in Joshua 1, this transition to this new era underneath Joshua. After the death of Joshua in Judges chapter 1, this new era of this time and this period of Judges. After the death of Saul when David had returned, now we come underneath Saul's kingship in Second Sam, uh, David's kingship under Second Samuel chapter 1. This new era, this close of a chapter, but the beginning of a new one. And Isaac really is this connector between Abraham and Jacob. Jacob gets a lot more time in the book of Genesis than Isaac does. Just like Shem. Shem is mentioned, but Shem is really the connector between Noah and those that follow, or Seth after Adam. But Abraham has died. Abraham dies here. Again, we're students of death because after death comes eternal life. And that's what the author of Hebrews in chapter 11 says. By faith Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out of the place he was received as an inheritance. He went out not knowing where he was going. By faith he went to live in the land of promise as a foreign, in a foreign land, living in tents with Isaac and Jacob, heirs with whom of the same promise. Again, we see this promise that is given to Abraham past Isaac and Jacob. Verse 10 says, For he was looking forward to the city that has foundations, whose designer and builder was God. And here he looks towards God as the builder of something to come. What land does he have in his possession? This grave. Yeah, he's still looking forward to that day where God... He lives in that city. The foundations and builder is God. But he continues in Hebrews 11 explaining that it is from one man and him as good as dead were born descendants as many as the stars of heaven and as many as the numerable grains of sand by the seashore. All of these died in faith, not having received the things promised, but having seen them and greeted them from afar. And having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. That here the saint dies, but he dies in faith. Seeing the promises from afar. For the people who speak thus make it clear that they are seeking a homeland. Abraham finally goes home. He's called out in Genesis 12 to go to a land to make this land his home. But now finally as he dies, he goes to his homeland, to his city in which the designer, the one which he was looking for, waiting for. Their desire was to live in a better, a heavenly one. Therefore God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared for them a city. Here this great saint dies, and yet he still 
lives and we know he still lives. It's exactly what Jesus' point is when he explains that when God speaks from the burning bush in Exodus and he says, I am the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Although he dies, he still lives. The God is still his God even after he's been buried in the ground. Although he died in faith, he's also alive in faith. Death, one Puritan explains, is not the end or what we would call our last day, but truly should be called our birthday, the birth of the rest of our lives, eternity the beginning of the everlasting, the beginning of eternal life with God. Matthew Mead says, Nothing makes our deathbed so uneasy and hard as a life spent in the service of sin and lust. But nothing makes a deathbed so soft and sweet as a life spent in the service of God. You see, one is living for today. One is living for sin and lust. One is living for comfort today. And yet their deathbed is hard and uneasy. But one is living in an uncomfortable life today, an uncertain life today, one in which their promises are not there. But yet their deathbed becomes soft and sweet. Because their death is actually their birth. Their death is actually their birthday. The rest of their life, all eternity. In the famous hymn, Jesus Lives, and so shall I. Death, thy sting has gone forever. He who designed, denied for me to die, lives in bands of death so severe. He shall raise me from the dust. Jesus is my hope and trust. Jesus lives, the last stanza says, and death is now, but my entrance into glory. Courage then, my soul, for thou hast a crown of life before thee. Thou shalt find thy hopes were just. Jesus is a Christian's trust. That Abraham didn't know, but Christ was then buried in the ground. And Christ, three days later, rose from the dead. So too, that's the hope of a Christian. That we as buried into the ground as our souls go up to be with the Lord. That God is still our God. The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. The God of the living. Our souls are up to be with Him. And we wait that day where our resurrection will come. But this passage doesn't also just focus on Abraham's legacy of Abraham's life, but it also speaks of Ishmael and his descendants in verses 12 to 16. Ishmael, which means God hears. And God does fulfill His promise to bless Ishmael. Because of Abraham. Remember when in chapter 17, Abraham cries out, Oh, that Ishmael might live before you. 
And God promises, as for Ishmael in verse 20 of chapter 17, I have heard you. Behold, I have blessed him and will make him fruitful and multiply him greatly. He shall father 12 princes and I will make him into a great nation. That here in chapter 25, we see God fulfill his promise to Abraham through uh, blessing Ishmael. There's 12 sons that are born of Ishmael, 12 tribes that settle in Havilah to Shur, which is the other side of the Red Sea, close to Sidon, the top of the Red Sea at the Gulf of Adian. But we also see Ishmael's death. Not only Abraham's descendants, Abraham's death, and Ishmael's descendants, but also Ishmael's death in verses 17 to 18. Now, often in these passages, we need to pay attention to the similarities, but also what might be missing. There is no mention of a burial for Ishmael. As we looked with burial, the resurrection, maybe the note of this is it's not a good thing. J.C. Ryle explains that death is a leveler. All men and women will die. The contrast between Abraham and Ishmael and Isaac, we get a taste of what is to come. Descending from Abraham does then not mean that the inheritance of Abraham is theirs. As Hebrews explains that the promises come through faith. Where faith comes through hearing, Paul writes in Romans chapter 10. We see another promise fulfilled here as well. In Genesis chapter 16, verse 12, it explains of Hagar and her son Ishmael. And God promises that Ishmael will be a wild donkey of a man. His hand against everyone, and everyone's hand against him. He shall dwell over against his kinsmen. Here's this promise fulfilled here in this passage, verse 18. And they settled from Havilah to Shur, which is opposite Egypt in the direction of Assyria. And he settled over against all of his kinsmen. Here we see the promise fulfilled of what is spoken in Genesis 16. But also, which is the unfolding promise, which is given in Genesis 3.15, that I will put enmity between you, the serpent, and the woman, and between your offspring, the serpent's offspring, and her offspring. This promise in Genesis 3.15 is there's always going to be opposition between these two, the seed of promise and the seed of the serpent. There's be enmity between them. And here in Genesis 25, we see it with Ishmael. We also will see it with Esau and Jacob. They have two different mothers, yet there's enmity between them against his kinsmen. We see the promise of the 12 princes fulfilled. But also we see the sad news that like Lot... Ishmael's legacy seems to die. 
Esau will marry daughters of Ishmael. But the promise lives not through Ishmael, but through Isaac, as we see in this passage. That God blessed Isaac, his son, and Isaac settled at Beer Lahairoi. In verse 19, these are the generations of Isaac, Abraham's son. God gave all that he, Abraham gave all that he had to Isaac. But throughout the whole rest of the Bible, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob is not this God of Abraham, Ishmael. We see this enmity between them. But not just here in this portion that we read, but the following of the rest of chapter 25, we see this enmity between two brothers, not Isaac and Ishmael, not two brothers from two different mothers, but two brothers from the same womb, two seeds which have enmity between them come from the same parents at the same time. And one carries the line of promise that carries with it the inheritance, the blessings of God, and the other has no inheritance. We think of the, the line which goes not just through Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, but flows all the way to the promised seed that would come, the one that would finally crush the serpent's head. And it's in Him, Christ, that He has got every blessing from God the Father, Paul writes in Ephesians chapter 1. But it's also through Him that we get the blessing of the inheritance. We get the promise of the resurrection. Paul writes in Ephesians 1 verse 11, In Him we have obtained an inheritance having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will. So that we who were first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. That is through him, Christ, Abraham's legacy, the seed of Abraham that flows through, that those who have faith in Christ have the promise of the resurrection. Those who have faith in Christ have the promise of this inheritance and that, this blessing. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. O oh, gracious Heavenly Father, we give thanks unto you. Lord, we pray that you would bless us this evening. Lord, as we think of these things. Death is never an easy topic to approach, but Lord, death to the Christian brings so much hope that we do indeed have hope. We have hope of eternity and eternal life, which is found in you. Lord, forever keep our mind on heaven, the reminder of death before us, that we live each day seeking to live like it is that day where we will be called home to be with you forever. We pray all these things that we would fix our eyes firmly on Christ. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to this sermon from Seven Springs Presbyterian Church. If you want to learn more about us, please find us on Facebook or visit us at sevenspringspresbyterian.com.
Seven Springs Presbyterian Church began in 1874 and is a congregation of the Presbyterian Church in America located in Glade Spring, Virginia. Please join us for worship on Sunday at 10 a.m. and 6 p.m. for His glory and His gospel.